concluding our series that we have been teaching on the disciple and his money. Now, please don't switch off on me if this is your first time to our church. You say, oh, here he goes. He's going to talk about money. He just wants our money. Just bear with me. Just listen. And then afterwards, you can make a judgment. But we've been teaching since the beginning of last month on finance and uh, the relationship or the role that money has in the hearts of all of us, especially those of us who are disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because of time, I will not go over what I've already taught. Uh, could you lower me a little bit? It seems a bit loud for me here. I will not go over what I've already taught, but what I will encourage you to do, I think it's now on podcast, I'll encourage you to get the teachings if you are serious about serving the Lord Jesus Christ the way he wants you to. We're going to talk about the disciple and his giving. The disciple and his giving. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Paul the apostle is speaking to the people of God and he says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Notice Paul the Apostle is talking to the Ephesian elders and he says to them many things how he lived before them by his example. How that he labored with his own hands and supported the weak, helped those who were weak, helped them, ministered to them, because he was motivated by the words of the Lord Jesus, which is not actually recorded in the Gospels, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. For the New Testament believer, our giving must be done out of grace and not legalism. When we give or when we are serving whether it's finance or anything else, it must be done from a place that we believe God has empowered us to serve. Grace. God has given us the ability to do it rather than because we have to or because the Bible says A, B, C, or D. The reason is, like we've already taught, our worship and our giving, our giving rather, should come out of a place of worship which means God is number one priority, so we're doing it because he's number one in our lives. It must come out of a place of ownership, which is God owns everything that we have, and we are stewards of what we have. It should come from a place of faith, which is we have confidence and reliance upon God, and because of our trust in him, we are able to do what we do. It should come from a place of love, because we are motivated by our love for God, and our love for people, and it's out of that that we give. Luke 6.38 is not in your notes. Our Lord Jesus says, give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will he will be put into your bosom or your pouch. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Our Lord, in teaching about the principles of the kingdom, talks about 
the benefits of giving. That as you give, it's giving back to you. Now, this is not just related to finance. This affects every aspect of our lives, especially as a disciple. You will discover that the more you learn to give of what God has poured into you, the greater you become in the faith, the stronger you become in the faith, the more abilities you discover that you have because of what you've been given. It's a kingdom principle. The more you give, the more you will discover God will pour back into you through various means in order for you to give more. Why? Because we are stewards and we are channels of the grace that God gives to us. We are to give. Now, how are we supposed to give? We are to give out of what we have. It's a very simple statement, but it's a very profound one because sometimes when you listen to some teachers and when you listen, to, when you watch Christian TV, there is at times a guilt trip that people have about giving. So people end up borrowing in order to give. That's unscriptural. It's not a biblical principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 says this. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. What he's saying is this. We are to give willingly out of what we already have. Not to give out of what we don't have. You can't give what you don't have. It's, a, it's, it's obvious, but it's a very important point. So if you don't have it, you shouldn't feel like you have to give. And especially when it comes to giving of money or finance, you are to give out of what you already have. Look at your neighbor and say, good news. Tell him good news. <laughs> giving out of what we have is what the scriptures condone. So whenever you are going to give, look at what you currently have and then decide how you give. Now, how do we give out of what we have? Three ways. Number one, we give out of our surplus or abundance. It's called generous giving. Now, you see an example of this in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 2, where King David, verse 3, sorry, where King David gives out of his treasure. He gives out of his treasure to the house of God. He was a very wealthy king, and he described, he says, I've decided to give all of this um, out of my treasure to help build a temple for the Lord. That is fantastic. He was given out of his abundance, and that is good. That is a proper way of giving. Secondly, we are to give out of our lack or need, but we still have something, but it's out of our need. It's called sacrificial giving. So an example of this is in Mark chapter 12, verse 44, where the widow gave two mites. If you read from verse 41 to 44, our Lord is watching everyone giving, and a widow comes, and she throws two mites, which is a third of a U.S. cent, into the offering. That's the, the value of, in those days, the two mites that she gave is valued at a third of a cent. In other words, it doesn't even come to 1p. doesn't even come close. That's all she had, and that's what she gave. That was sacrificial giving. It hurt her to give it, but that's what she had. 
And it's the kind of giving that speaks of outrageous worship. Now, it does not mean generous giving is wrong. It is very good. But this kind of giving is also very good. And our Lord said, this woman gave more than everyone because she gave out of her lack. She gave everything she had. You see, when you are giving, don't look at the amount that you give as important. Look at what it means to you. Look at what it means to you. Because sometimes that last tenner in your pocket has more power than that hundred pounds in the account. Why? Because you have marked it for some Chinese. And you are very hungry. And so the Chinaman, no offense, not trying to be racist or anything, is going to serve you with some proper cuisine after the service. And then the preacher is preaching about giving and you just feel, mmm. And you feel like, no, I, I, I will give next week. He doesn't want it next week. The Lord wants it now. But you are also hungry. So when you give that last 10 pounds, it has more power than the money that's in your account. Why? Because it pains you to give. You hear what I'm saying? And then the third kind of giving is giving from, sorry, giving in proportion to what we earn, which I call equitable giving. Giving out of, giving in proportion to what you earn. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 from verses 13 to 15. And he says this, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality as it is written. He who gathered much, had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now here, this kind of giving is encouraged a lot in the New Testament. This is the kind of giving that you see um, Paul the Apostle encouraging the Corinthians to give, where you give in relation to your income, or in relation to what you have, in proportion to what you are earning. So if you earn little, you give little. If you earn a lot, you give a lot. And what he's saying is this, when the body of Christ is doing this kind of giving, what ends up happening, there is no lack in the house. Because I tell you this, in this church, there is enough money to buy any building that we have, that we need to buy. It's just that the majority of people do not give the way they should give. Don't shout me down, I'm preaching really good right now. Because not everybody, and, and I'm going to say something that will shock you, not even everybody can tithe. Are you still here? Not even everybody can tithe. We'll touch on that. Because not everybody's income empowers them enough to tithe. That is the truth. We'll touch on that. I know now we're touching on some, you're thinking, what's this man saying? I'm saying not everyone can tithe. That's what I'm saying. But also, not everyone should tithe. What's the tithe? Giving 10% of your income. Everyone should do that. A lot of people, it's not tithing God wants. Because you can give far more than your tithe. Uh, see, I got you. 
And then some people, they can't even tithe. But when everybody's giving as God wants them to give, there is no lack in the house. Are you still here? All our giving is from one of these sources, whether it's generous, whether it's sacrificial, or whether it's equitable giving. But it must be done with the right spirit if we are to get the blessing. If you give out of the wrong spirit, if you give because you feel guilty, if you give because you feel forced, if you give out of the wrong spirit, you will discover that it will not be a blessing to you. So people can even tithe and never be blessed because they're doing it because of the pastor, not because of God. Let me touch on the wrong kind of giving. I'll just touch on it quickly. I'll give you seven basic wrong kinds of giving. Number one, giving out of duress, and that was being forced to give. 2 Corinthians 9.5 tells us this. That he says this, therefore, it's not in your notes, he says, therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Paul said to the Corinthian church, I'm sending people ahead to prepare your hearts because you're going to give to help the church in Jerusalem, which is very poor. And you guys promised you were going to give. But I'm making sure that by the time I come, your hearts are ready so that you don't give out of obligation. In other words, because I'm the apostle and I've come, you feel, well, we better give. But you give because you are ready. You're doing it willingly. So, number one, wrong kind of giving is giving under duress, out of being forced to give. Secondly, giving out of what you don't have. I've already touched on it. Giving out of what you don't have. In other words, you don't have it and you're still giving. And sometimes in a household, sometimes parents can be irresponsible because you don't have the faith, but you give something to the church and your children are starving. That is wrong. Oh, come on. I said, that is wrong. Hey, what is this man saying? I'm telling you biblical truths. That's not how you're supposed to give. I think God will be okay if you fed your children with the money that you're going to give to the church. I think God will be okay. You won't go to hell over that one. Number three, giving from wrong motivations. It's another wrong way of giving. In Proverbs chapter 15 verse 8, the scripture says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. These scriptures you don't have. It's an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. When a wicked person gives a sacrifice to God because their heart is wrong, God hates it. He's not interested. So we have to make sure that our motives for giving are correct. Number four, giving in order to impress others. Have you done that before? I know I have. It's a stupid way of giving. Because the only reward is people say, wow, you did really well. That's it. There's nothing else. What kind of nonsense? I've done that before. Have you done that before? Just keep looking straight, you know. But in Matthew 6, 1, our Lord says this. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Whether it's money or anything else, trying, doing things to impress people 
is a very short-sighted way of serving. Whether it's finance or whether it's doing ministry in church, if you want an eternal reward, then make sure you're doing it to impress God and God alone. You know, some people, it doesn't mean that people will not see what you're doing. It just means that you're doing it not to be seen. Because remember, when the widow was given her two mites, everybody could see what she was given. It wasn't the fact that people saw what she was given that was wrong. It was because, she, what, what was, sorry, what made it right or wrong? It was that she was given it as worship to God. You hear what I'm saying? So don't try to impress others through your giving. Number five, another wrong kind of giving is giving what one does not place value on. The thing that you are giving, you yourself, it doesn't matter to you. You don't place any value on it. I'll give you a scripture for this in Malachi chapter 1 verse 8. Malachi chapter 1 verse 8 or someone said Malachi chapter 1 verse 8. <clears throat> when you offer, he says, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Will, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. See, at times we give to God what we will never give to our workplace or to our boss. We give to God what we will never give to our studies. Are you still here? The thing that we are giving, how we are serving, whether it's our money or our time, we will never dream of doing that in the workplace or doing that if we're studying for an exam. But when it comes to the house of God, we give anything anyhow. That is not the kind of giving that impresses God. Whatever you do in word or deed, he says, do it all heartily with your whole heart as unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord we shall receive a reward. Number six, giving in the wrong manner. And that was not following God's protocol. You see an example of this in Genesis 4 verses 3 to 5, Cain and Abel. Cain offered to God. And then Abel offered to God, and God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Why? Somebody said because Cain gave from the ground. No, the, it wasn't because Cain gave from the ground, because the ground was cursed. Everything was cursed after the fall, including sheep. Everyone was cursed. Man, everyone was cursed. It was because Hebrews, Hebrews 11 tells us how. Is that Cain, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He gave his best. Cain gave what he had. He found something and gave it. He didn't give his best. He didn't follow divine protocol. When you bring your first fruits, first fruits represented the best. So like you gather your harvest. So what he was supposed to do was to gather his harvest, then choose out of it the best bit of the harvest and then present that to God. Abel looked at his sheep, his flock, and then chose the best kind of lamb and then offered it as a sacrifice. And God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's because one followed divine protocol, the other did not. And number seven, giving to prefer the cause of justice. Like sometimes people think that if they, and I, in church this even happens, if they give a certain kind of offering, then God will overlook certain things that they've done which is wrong, which they're supposed to correct. So sometimes a person will go and deal in drugs. Are you still here? They're dealing drugs. Christian, I'm not talking to you when you're not saved and then you got saved. Christian. 
go deal with drugs, and then come and bring the offering to the house of God, the drug money. And then the preacher will say, the money is now blessed as I lay hands on it. It's not. It's cursed. Nonsense foolishness. What foolishness? It's cursed because the guy bringing the offering had a wrong heart in bringing it. It's cursed. Now, if you did not know it was cursed, that's different. Now, let me add here. This is why my stance is not the stance of the elders. This is my stance. We don't receive lottery money. We're not going for lottery funding. The elders said to me, this position of yours. I said, no, it's, it's wrong. If I know it's lottery money, CLF is not taking it. Because lottery is one of the ways in which the system of this world robs the poor. They'll ch- tell you some story about some woman who became rich. How many have lost their money for that woman to become rich? Nonsense. Now, we're not taking money because it's money. We, now, if you give me the money and I spent it, and after she told me it's lottery money, it's a bit too late. <laughs> huh. Huh. I didn't know. It's like meat offered to idols. Paul said, if you go somewhere and they say to you, this food was offered to idols, don't eat it. Why? Is it because an idol is anything? No, an idol is nothing. I don't care. If I go to a person's house who's a witch and they cook for me, as long as they haven't put, um, um, what do you call it? Um, not juju. I don't care about juju. Not poison, like bleach. As for juju and stuff, it's easy. Just I sanctify, it's done. But when it's bleach, it's physical. It's a bit different. You need a creative miracle. That one's a bit different. So they've done juju or they've, over the food and they bring the food to me and I don't know they've done all of that and I bless you, I sanctify, I don't quickly rush and eat and then <laughs> Paul said an idol is nothing but if the person says this food was offered to idols then don't eat it, he said why? Not for your sake, but for their sake, their conscience sake. The mere fact that they're telling you is offered to idols is a problem for them. You know that an idol is nothing because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But for their sake, you don't eat it. That's what Paul says. And that same principle applies to money. If the person tells you, by the way, this gift I'm giving you is drug money. As a born-again Christian, I dealt in drugs and now I've repented. Then tell them, to burn the money. Actually, that's illegal. I rephrase that. Don't burn the money. Tell them to give it to the poor or something. But not say, somebody said, but this is a poor check. No, tell them to give it. We don't want it. But if, let's say, before they got saved, they were involved in something that was very suspicious, but legal, but legal. Then they got saved. And then they said, now I'm giving the money to the work of God. That's, that's worship. That's different. Okay, so, how does a disciple give to God? How do we do it? You find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, he says, in the Living Bible version, he says this, on the first day of each week, set aside some of what you have earned and give it as an offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. That's the Living Bible version. And then you find in Acts chapter 5, verse 4, Peter, we touched on this, I think, last week. Peter said to Ananias concerning his money, while it remained 
Was it not your own? And after it was sold, that's the land that they sold. Was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? And you've lied. You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, the background is this. Ananias and his wife Sapphira were in a church where the move of God was moving very powerfully and everybody was giving really generously. People were selling their property and bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet. And these two decided to do the same. But after they sold the amount, they then realized, man, this is a lot of money we're giving, putting at these people's feet. Nah, mate, listen, let's hold some of it back. Let's give them, we said we'll give one million. We'll give them 500,000 after all, it's still a lot of money. So they gave the 500,000. Unfortunately for them, the spirit of revelation was moving very powerfully and the gift of miracles was also powerful. And so Peter, by revelation, knew, realized that what they did is the money they've put there is not the money they're claiming. And so miracles worked and he died. It's quite serious, isn't it? But what I want you to notice is that he died because he lied. He lied about it. It wasn't because he gave less. He said, whilst it was in your possession, it was your own control. It was under your own control. So let's say you pledge to give to the church a certain amount of money. And then after you pledge, you say, I'll give the church one million. Then you realize, nah, after you consulted the wife, hey, I should say, hey, no, 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 this million business, let's, no, 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 we'll give them half. It's okay to do that. You can come back and say, you know what, I pledged one million, but we've changed our mind. We have children. So we'll give 500,000. It's okay. They can do that. They could have done that. But what they did was they lied. They acted like, no, it's all the money. And that's where the sin was. It wasn't that they changed their mind. See, I want to set you free. You can change your mind if you decide to give to the church. You can change your mind if you decide to give to somebody else. Because sometimes you will discover that you haven't factored in everything. But just don't pretend and don't lie. Tell them, you know, I said I'll give you that money. But you know, I don't want to give it all anymore. I'm so sorry. Actually, if you're not sorry, don't say you're sorry. Just say, I'm, I'm not going to give it anymore. I'm sorry you're upset. Yeah, but I'll give you half. That's okay. So that's, that's the point I want you to see is that Whatever money you have that you decide to give, it's in your hands to give. Now, if you make a vow to God, that's different. If you say to God, God, if you do this for me, I will do this. I will give this. Then that one, you have no choice. You better do it. Because with a vow, God acts on the basis of what you decided to do. And the scripture warns, if you make a vow, don't Defer to pay it. So don't make any vow unless you're willing to pay. And if you owe God a vow, no man can set you free. Only the blood of Jesus. So you go to the blood. Amen. All right, so now, how do we give to God? There is a difference between giving to charity, good as that is, and giving to the Lord. Now, often people confuse their charitable giving outside the context of God's kingdom and God's house with giving to God. Now, there's nothing wrong in giving to non-Christian or non-kingdom-oriented um, things. If you want to do that, you do it all the time. It's called shopping. <laughs> but don't confuse that with giving 
to God. So how do we give to God as disciples? Number one, by giving as led by the Holy Spirit or as led by the Lord. An example of this is in Genesis 22, 1 and 2, where God speaks to Abraham and he gives him an outrageous command. Now, this command never happens again. He says, go and offer your son, your only son. Go and offer him. In fact, let's read it. Verse, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that, the Lord, that God tested Abraham. What does that mean? It means God wanted to show or prove Abraham for where he was really at. And said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. How many of you want to hear God's voice? Come on, how many of you? How many of you want to hear God's voice? God speaks to you. <laughs> Comes with a price, you know. And then he said, take now your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What kind of command is that? Now, God will never ask anybody ever on this earth to do this. So let's be clear. Did you hear what I said? We don't want some weird... You see, God said I should kill you. <laughs> God doesn't do that anymore. And even in this example, he didn't kill him. He didn't kill Isaac. So let's be clear. But as Abraham was asked to sacrifice that which was most precious to him, so also the Lord at times may lead us to give up that which is most valuable to us. Now, it's interesting, as I was searching the scriptures about God telling people to give finance, the only thing I could find was where God will say to his people, give towards this thing. But I never saw anywhere where God would tell people, give this specific thing, except for this example. Now, there may well be other places, but I couldn't find it. Which led me to understand that the onus and giving, God, from God's perspective, is always on us. See, as New Testament believers, we want God to tell us, give this and give that. But actually, God expects you to decide. Go read your New Testament. You will discover that in the New Testament, the giving comes from us most of the time. As opposed to God telling you. But the Holy Spirit does lead us to give some things a certain way. But that is not the norm. Because I'll give you an example. The scripture says, if you see your brother has need and you shut your bowels of compassion to minister to them. How does the love of God dwell in you? It's not possible. So somebody said, well, I don't feel led. You don't need to feel led to be compassionate. Are you still here? So giving as you feel led. Number two, by giving to his house. How do we give to God? By giving to his house. In Haggai chapter 1, is a clear example of how God expresses people to give to his house. But remember, the house of God is no longer buildings. It's people. It's the assembly, the church of the living God. Paul said to Timothy, it's the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So by giving to his house, we give to him. Look at Haggai chapter 1 from verse 9 to 11. 
You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, and the mountains, and on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and what, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. God made sure his people had lack because they neglected his house. And let me tell you this. As a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility towards his house. We do. Say to your neighbor, you have a responsibility. Now, remember what I said earlier on. We are to give out of what we have, not what we don't have. So I never give if I don't have. I never give if I don't have. But if I do have, then I have a responsibility because I know that, that part of what God has given to me is not for me and my family. It's also for his house. Number three, how do we give to God? By giving to his work. In Acts chapter 4, 34 and 30 to 36, there's a move of God and people are giving, selling their property and, bringing it and laying it at the apostles' feet. It demonstrates how the early disciples were willing to give out of their resource to the apostles so that the apostles can use it to help the wider community of believers. Number four, by giving to those in full-time ministry. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 to 14. This is one of the ways in which we give to God. He says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Now look at verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Those who preach the gospel, in other words, those who are given to it full time, should live from the gospel. I know there are those who will say that you, you, you know, you don't have to be full-time. And many people are not called to be full-time. Most people who are full-time have learned to grow to become full-time. But we have a responsibility to those who are full-time. Now, how do you tell who your responsibility is to? As a disciple, it is those who shepherd you. It is those who have oversight over you spiritually. It is those who teach you the word. It is those who will counsel you. If your marriage is going through crisis, go and call your tele-evangelist and see if you'll come and counsel you. You know, you know, we have a church of about 25, 30 people, and that pastor is so much desperately trying to serve these people, and you've got maybe five or six people there who could look after him well, and they're sending their money to some guy somewhere who they've never met because they really believe in this ministry, and their pastor is suffering, can't even pay their bills. But when their, 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 their family members are sick, when they need someone to be buried, when they need someone to marry, guess who they call? Guess who they expect to come? Make sure he's there on time. Look him proper. Yeah. You see, let me tell you something. When you are in the ministry, whether you like it or not, you always have to, you have to be sharp. Sometimes you yourself, you're going through crises and then people come with their crises and they expect you to have all the right answers. Meanwhile, when it's time for offering, offering where? 
Now, I thank God for our church. Our church is full of generous people. Our church is full of people who are very giving. But many churches suffer because the disciples in that church neglect the ministry of looking after their man or woman of God. Hallelujah. Look at, look at another scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 to 18. My time is nearly up. He says this. In the New Living Translation, I don't know if you've got it there as the New Living Translation, but he says this. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Did you read that? Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. <laughs> For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it shreds out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. How many of you were at the half night um, this, was that, was that awesome or was that awesome? I mean, those of you who don't come to half night prayer meetings, you have no idea. That thing is moving on another level. I mean, the man of God moved powerfully. It was powerful. We are blessed as a church. We have a resident prophet. A resident prophet. Uh, you have to stand. We, I want, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is the, this is the man. Come on, give him a hand. God bless you. But you see, this man is a full-time minister. But at the moment, we cannot support him the way we need to. Because in our church of this size, there's only about 60 people who are faithfully given. Now, we are changing that in Jesus' name. Say amen. People like that is who we should be supporting. Because I know this man, he's a holy man. And I've said to the Lord, please, you can't take him for a while. He's already gone and smelled heaven and came back. We want him here for a while. <laughs> now, these are the kind, and I have friends like that, men who are faithful, godly. They are the kind of people we should support. Amen. Number five, how do we give to God? By giving to the poor. Ephesians 4.28 says this, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Proverbs 19.17 says this, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. When you give to the poor, people who are poor, you are actually given to the Lord. Psalm 41 verse 1 says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him from the bed of affliction. The bed of trouble. When you give to the poor, and how do you give to the poor? By looking for someone who's poor and giving to them, yes. But also by supporting the work of those who are supporting the poor. That's how you give to the poor. How do you give to the Lord? Number six, by giving to your spiritual teacher. <laughs> I tell you, again, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. Come on, let's just teach the word. So look at this, Galatians 6, verse 6 to 8. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap 
everlasting life. Now, I checked several commentaries on this verse, and I discovered they all agreed with me. And that is that this law of sowing and reaping is primarily, in this context, linked to how you look after the spiritual teacher. As you are blessed in the natural because of his or her teachings, God says you are supposed to then reciprocate and bless him or her in your natural blessings. By the way, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And how does he say God is not mocked? Because when you do it to that man or woman, you're not doing it to them. You're doing it to God. That's what he's saying. Look at your neighbor and say, Number seven. How do we give to the Lord? By giving before the Lord. What does that mean? In other words, whatever you are giving, you are giving it as unto the Lord. Period. However you give, whatever you give, you're giving it as unto the Lord. Period. Now, please, I do not want a mad rush after service. Oh, I'm, No, if you want to do something, do it before the Lord. And before the Lord. That's it. Do it before the Lord. Pastor Joe, did you receive my, my, my oh, I see you're wearing my, my, my trousers I gave you. It's good, yeah. Here's the handkerchief as well. I can tell. Is your wife wearing my dress? <laughs> ah, Pastor Joe, why? I've, I've noticed you're not wearing that jumper. Okay. It's none of your business what I do with what you've given to me. You know, let me just say this here. Sometimes people give me stuff and then they have rules on how I'm supposed to use it. I don't like that. I tell Aisha, I don't like it when people do that. What, what business is it to you? What I do? Do, do? Does your boss come and tell you? Make sure you spend the money this way, you spend the money that way. If you're going to give to a man or woman of God, give it that unto the Lord. None of these rules and regulations. Don't spend it on this, spend it on that, don't do it on this. I'm not that we're not grateful, we're very grateful, but please. Because you want to be blessed. And by the way, it's not only the senior pastor you should be looking at. There are other pastors. Amen. Sometimes they all want to target the, 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 yes, it's the bishop. There are others. Somebody said, when you say these things, you're shooting yourself. Then let me shoot myself. <laughs> because for me, the key in all of this is we honor God. When it comes to these things, at times I'm so nervous to talk about them because I'm afraid that people will misunderstand my heart. But honestly, that's also pride. That's also me with pride. That's pride. At the end of the day, we teach the word. You do it what you please. Can you say amen? So in conclusion, in conclusion, just touching on the tithe, I believe that a New Testament believer can choose to tithe, but I do not believe that the tithing is a law, and if you don't tithe, you're cursed. Don't believe that. Let me read quickly to you Malachi chapter. We don't have time, so I've just jumped. So uh, 
There's other notes. There's the notes. Look at the notes. Study it for yourself. Um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. Will a man rob God? It's to 12. I've got, I gave you to 10, but it's to 12. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Notice it's in tithes and offerings, not just in tithe. Which means, again, sometimes we preachers, we get carried away. If you're not tithing, you've robbed God. No. If you're not tithing and if you're not giving offerings that God expects you to give, that's where you're robbing him. That's it. It's not necessarily the tithe or even the offering. It's what God's expectation is. That's it. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What is the storehouse? It's anything and any work that supports the work of God. Your local church, but also other ministries that feed the people of God the word. Again, at times that we pastors especially will say, storehouse is your local church, period. No. Storehouse is any ministry that feeds you, that supports you, that helps you to develop. Any ministry. Includes your local church, but there are other ministries. A lot of evangelists should be tithed too, because without them, some of our churches won't even exist. A lot of teachers should be tithed too, because without them, some of us wouldn't be in the kingdom. Are you still here? Where are we? Verse 11. Verse what? Where are we? Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that they may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call, will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land. I want to give you just seven basic keys. I'll just rush through them and then we'll pray about tithing. Number one, all giving may be classed as offerings, but God differentiates between the tithe and the rest. So there's a reason. God, everything we give is an offering. But when it comes to the tithe, God differentiates for a reason. Number two, as giving of offerings is a choice, so also tithing is a choice for the New Testament believer. In other words, it's not a law. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, as you purpose in your heart, so give. So you can choose to tithe and you can choose not to tithe. Third point. Tithing has with it its unique blessings when observed in faith. You see, the reason why tithing is powerful and even the non-Christians and people who don't serve God who operate tithe find its blessings. Now, I don't know if this guy's a believer or not, but um, one of these um, movie stars L.L. Kuja, I think his name is, he said, and there was a quote that he said, he, he, he attributes his blessings to the tithe, because he tithes as a matter of course. It's interesting. He has his own unique blessings. God says he will open the windows of heaven. And God says in verse 12, nations will call you blessed. So that there is that. The fourth thing about tithing is this. Tithing should be done to support the work of God. In other words, if you're going to tithe, tithe to a work of God. Not say, I'm tithing to, excuse me, to say cancer research. Now, cancer research is good, but they don't believe in God. You know, and you should support them if you can. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Don't misunderstand me. They're doing a fantastic work. Or I'm tithing to, you know, save the whale. 
which is good. It's a good, it's a good cause, save the world. No, I'm not knocking it. No, they need help. But that's not where your tithe should go. That's all. <laughs> Number five, tithing is the only form of giving through which God commands or challenges us to prove him. He says, prove me by your tithing. Prove me. And remember, if it's done in faith, then you can prove him. Number six, God promises to rebuke the devourer for the sake of the tither. Now, for me, this is a very important principle. When I tithe, one of the things I know is I am insuring myself against attacks on my finance. You see, I have observed this, and this I have observed. I remember a few people that I know who, um, please don't come to me after service and ask, are you talking about me? Please, I'm not interested. There's a few people. And they sold their properties. Now, when they sold their properties, they decided not to tithe on the income. And that was the profit they made. They gave an offering, but not a tithe, because it's a lot of money, you see. Now, they're entitled to do that. But then what I discovered is what they then went and did with the money, they would experience peculiar problems where they ended up spending more money than the tithe they would have tithed. See, here's my point. When you tithe, God says he rebukes the devourer for your sake. So I and my family cannot afford not to tithe. Because the expenses that come our way, I can't say rebuke the devourer. Rebuke the devourer. You say, why? But when I tithe, I can say, now you said you rebuke the devourer. So why am I losing money here? Why am I losing money there? Now, again, it's a matter of faith. You may say, I don't have the faith. And you shouldn't tithe if you don't have the faith. Number seven, God promises open heavens on behalf of the tither. And what do open heavens represent? Contrary to popular belief, open heavens represents increased revelation of God and his ways. That's what the open heavens represents. And when you grow in revelation about God and his ways, it affects your finance and every other aspect of your life. Amen.